The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch True Lies. Uh, my name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Some ice cold Coors Light. All right. Also joining us today is Mugga. What up, Mugs? What's up? What are you drinking today? Uh, I got some red wine right now. And rounding out the panel with us today is TJ. What up, TJ? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, we're good, man. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a hard green tea. Delicious. All right. So <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. So today uh, we are talking about True Lies. It was released July 15th, 1994. It's produced by Lightstorm Entertainment and distributed by 20th Century Fox. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Arnold, Art Malik. Uh, Bill Paxton, Tia Carrera, uh, Liza Dushku, Grant Hesloff, and Charlton Heston. It's directed by James Cameron, and it's written by James Cameron and Randall Frakes. Uh, so before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? So I wanted to start off, this being in 94, this had a production budget, what I have is $115 million. Did you guys get that, or is it $115 I had million? A, I saw 100 Okay, I, well, I got it. it was 115 because it was the first movie ever to go over a hundred million dollars, right? Production. Oh, maybe budget. that's what I read. Yeah, maybe so that's, that, where that's I a big from. deal back then. Um, it did make money though, domestically, uh, 146 million. Foreign did really well, 232. So worldwide, you about 379. Deduct what it cost to make the movie, you have a 264. It debuted on opening weekend at number one. Behind it, number two was Forrest Gump. But the reason why I bring that up, I think Forrest Gump came out the week before. And because of that, True Lies took it. But then the next weekend, Forrest Gump regained the title. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So it was only on top for one weekend, the weekend that it opened. Lion King, Angels in the Outfield was also in theaters. Um, Um, You got a couple other things. Um, Schindler's List was also in there still, 31 weeks, but it was around that time where you know you had Forrest Gump and all the other stuff. This ranks, though, second among Arnold Schwarzenegger movies as far as box office. Number one was Terminator 2, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, that one is one of his best ones. Um, this is number two. Um, you got number three, Total Recall. Four, which I thought was interesting, was Twins. Because mm-hmm. wasn't that his first movie that he came out where it wasn't so serious, right? Well, it wasn't an action movie it, at all. Yeah, right? it, was, it was where he was going to be funny and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> number five, Terminator 3. Number six, uh, Kerwin's favorite, Batman and Robin. <laughs> when he was Mr. Freeze. Holy shit. Yeah. I love uh, it. I love seven it. was Eraser. Eight was Kindergarten Cop. Now, this one, it has Terminator Salvation. Was he in that? It's his likeness. I yeah, think so it's, but it's like tied for it. So, number nine, I think we all can agree here Predator. That <laughs> was a great movie. Uh, ten, there you go, Teach Jingle All the Way. One I want to bring up, though, number 13, is Last Action Hero, because that has a significance oh. to this movie, which I think we'll get into. Jason, uh, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this movie? So on Rotten Tomatoes, um, 70% of critics liked it with an average rating of 6.54 out of 10, 35 fresh, and then 15 rotten. The audience gave it a 76%. The average rating was a 3.77 with 265,000 votes. IMDb, average rating was 7.2 out of 10 with 222,000 votes. When I looked at the demos on this, it's not even worth mentioning because all of them were within like 02 we saw in some other movies that we reviewed where it's like the female, right? Yeah. Female under 18 with, you know, not a lot of votes, but now like with this one, it was all within like 
two tenths of a point. So pretty much like everyone gave it that 7.2. One thing I did look up though, kind of, you know, off of Mugga's point was according to Rolling Stone, I think it was in 2015, they ranked the top 10 Arnold movies. So it kind of aligns with what Mugga was saying with the financials. Uh, so where do you think True Lies falls on this list? It is in the top 10. So you're asking me where True Lies lies? There's one. Yeah, I'm asking you where it falls. On I, would, I would have to say, out of all of his movies, not box office wise, I I'm would just put talking about this at the bottom of the ten, like the higher ten. I was seven or eight range is what I would put it. All right, Kerwin, what do you think? I, I'd probably put this around like six or seven. Teej, without looking at my list. Well, yeah, I can see your I can see your computer screen, so I already know. Okay, so I'll go through <laughs> this. So number one, Terminator Two. So of course that kind of lines right with the mug is right. with the financials. Number two is Predator. Three was the first Terminator, four, Conan, and then five was True Lies. Six, Commando, seven, Total Recall, um, eight, Last Action Hero, which I thought was interesting. Um, Nine was The Running Man, and then ten was Twins. So those are his top ten. So, I mean, it falls number five. I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. No uh, no Junior? Yeah, no Junior's not in Junior, that that was was the one I was thinking about. That was his 20th highest box office rating, by the way. I was... Like curious about like Kindergarten Cop or oh, yeah. some of the other movies he's done, but this I mean I think this was as of 2015. Rollings don't put this out, so yeah, that's what I have for the ratings. All right, so Jason, take us behind the scenes of uh, True Lies. Okay, so a little bit before True Lies, I'm going to get into you know James Cameron a little bit. So after Terminator 2: Judgment Day, uh, which was released again in 1991. I didn't know this, but James Cameron wanted to make a Spider-Man movie, and he wanted it to be a rated R script. He had written it earlier, and this is what I thought was really cool, that he wanted Leo to star as Peter Parker, and he wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock. Oh, that would have been good. I guess, yeah. Maybe now Sony could do that. I don't know. You know? Yeah, since <laughs> they're fucking up everything, Sony. You sound mad. I am. I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, that man, that would have cool. been that would have been an interesting Spider-Man, especially rated R. Um, so he initially thought that it would be too technically challenging at the point, and he was also working with another company called I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but I think it's Coralco Pictures, and they wanted him to do it on a much smaller budget. Coralco Pictures eventually collapsed. Cameron abandoned the project. And then you can see that it was heavily rewritten, the Spider-Man 2002 version directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, Cameron and DiCaprio would later work on Titanic, but they would never come out with the Spider-Man movie. Kind of a good choice, right? Yeah, I mean, they still did something with Leo, but Titanic was a great movie, so I'm happy we got to see that. James Cameron made a $500 million deal with 20th Century Fox and his production company Lightstorm to make 12 films, and he wanted complete artistic control. 20th Century Fox said, you can do this as long as each film's budget doesn't go over $75 million. So he can make 12 films, but as long as he doesn't go over $75 million, then they're okay with it. Cameron uh, planned on making a movie called The Crowded Room, which was a thriller based on a book called The Minds of Billy Milligan by author Daniel Keyes. However, he canceled the project when the holders of the book, Adaptation Rights, uh, suddenly demanded more money. So they saw the success of Terminator 2 in 2001, and they're like, hey, you made a shit turn off this movie they're like hey we want a lot more money for the rights for this book so he decided to back out of that in an interview james cameron said that the idea for the film was actually suggested by arnold schwarzenegger i didn't know that arnold suggested you know this movie again he was married to maria shriver so the brother-in-law robert shriver showed him a film called la total so arnold and and robert i guess watched this movie 
Schwarzenegger wanted to do a film like this because he liked the idea of being like a super secret agent. And Cameron was ultimately like really surprised that Arnold had like a passion to actually be a certain specific kind of character. A little bit about La Totale. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but yeah, it's like a French film from I think 91. It's a French comedy, right? Yeah. So like action comedy. So yeah. So the 1991 French comedy film La Totale was directed by Claude Zidi and is based on a character named Francois, who's played by, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Tyree Limerit, who plays an employee of a telecommunications firm and lives a rather boring life. But in reality, he's a secret agent who's a badass. So we can already kind of tell that this mirrors exactly what what we see in True Lies. Um, In the film, after planting a microphone in an armed smuggler's car, it leads the Secret Service to the apartment of a prostitute who is helping the arms dealer and the smuggler meet up. So we kind of see that in True Lies in the very beginning of the movie in the snow scene. That's where Arnold's kind of going into his private room and planting the recording device. And then that's where we meet like Juno Skinner. They end up intercepting and destroying a missile convoy. His wife, played by, again, I'm going to butcher this name, Mew Mew, as Helene, ends up meeting a man named Simon. I think that was kind of funny that they use the exact same name from this movie, who pretends to be a secret agent, but is actually a car dealer who lives in a caravan. Francois knows Helene is meeting someone in secret and believes she is cheating. He uses the secret agent resources and finds out more about Simon. He ends up kidnapping them both and makes her believe Simon is a terrorist and that she must now work for the agency. She has no idea that Francois is behind this and gets instructed to go to a hotel where he plans on surprising her and kind of revealing that, you know, he's in fact a secret agent. They both end up getting kidnapped by the arms dealer's henchman and he spills the beans about him being a secret agent. They then end up getting away and stop a French football stadium from being blown up. At the end of the movie, Helene and Francois end up kidnapping a man who ends up being Simon and pretending to be a dangerous man. So I feel like almost like shot for shot, pretty exact. this is the same movie. Just... Then location, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've, I feel like we have a lot typically on movies and like script development and all this. I feel like this is damn near stolen. It's, yeah, it's just, it's just a literal remake. It yeah. just, that's, that's exactly what this is. Yeah. I don't so, know if you said, do they have to pay any royalties or anything? I mean, that movie came out in 91 and they made this movie in 94. Three years later, do they have to pay anything? I mean, literally, it's like just changing the location. It's the exact same story. And I mean, they didn't even change names. I don't know if they had to pay royalties. I would imagine they'd have to, yeah. but I mean, they didn't even change some of the, I mean, some of the French names were changed, but like Simon is the same name as Simon in the movie. So. Wow. So after watching the film Low to, uh, sorry, Law to Tell, Cameron loved the idea of Arnold as a secret agent with unlimited professional resources, but also as a family man. Basically asking the question, what would James Bond be like if he had to go home and had a family and had a wife and had to do like all the regular stuff that normal people have to do? So I didn't know this, but James Cameron had been divorced three times previous to this movie. I also didn't know that he was currently pregnant with a kid with Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. Did you guys know that? No. No, I'm looking at Kerwin like I'm lost right now. What the fuck? Yeah, I didn't know that he... Where does Catherine Bigelow fit in all this? I don't know, but I read... I thought he was going through a divorce with her during this movie. I read that he was currently... Linda Hamilton was currently pregnant at this time. Oh, Jesus, that's crazy. Yeah, so I I thought that was interesting, you know, from Terminator 2 and Terminator 1. 
So, of course, from his marriages and stuff like that, he had a lot of knowledge about, you know, the burden of family life and balancing everything like with work and and family life. He also felt that comedy would be a nice kind of segue departure from his usually like gritty science fiction films. Cameron chose True Lies to be the first movie under this 12 movie agreement he had made with 20th Century Fox. And he thought Arnold would be a great person to do this and including that he actually brought this movie idea up. Arnold was coming off Last Action Hero uh, in 1993, which was a bomb at the box office, and he was looking to redeem himself. He thought this movie was the right project since both of them, Cameron and Arnold, had a, a lot of success with the Terminator movies. Right. Do you, did you have anything to add to the Last Action Hero mugs? Or I, I just heard, well, you already brought up how they wanted to make it the comedy a big part of the film, right? I read Schwarzenegger did not want this because I think there was comedy or because of the Last Action Hero after it he he just he wanted this to be strictly an action film serious and all that because he could not take another like bomb at the theaters is what i read i kind of read the opposite i think he right. liked that or Schwarzenegger there was, wanted the, he, he the liked comedy. the comedy aspect being really? involved into the, uh, I thought, to the action I thought he part. didn't want it because of he, he didn't want the way last action hero was portrayed or maybe you're right yeah, it could be one i mean i i would understand that too because yeah last action hero had a lot of comedy in it as well um, kind of getting to the script, I mean, again, we kind of pointed out that this follows a lot of the law total, but I think it was funny that James Cameron actually hired a team of writers to help him with the comedy aspect. So they were hired there to add jokes to the film, um, but Cameron did not like what they came up with. I mean, they basically wrote a bunch of stuff and he used like none of it. Right? Yeah. So like Cameron was like, nope, you're all fired. He let them all go and he tried it. He tried his own hand at comedy. So he rewrote this script, I guess from scratch is what I read on IMDb, and kept only two jokes from the team of writers. One of them was at the end of the movie when he's like, you're fired. And I don't remember what the other one is. Um, But another big thing James Cameron wanted to do is make sure that this film was depicted as a love story first and foremost. See, that's one thing I wanted to bring up about this movie. Does it have a hard time identifying what type of movie it is? I, I feel that 100% way. 100% agree okay, with so you. Okay, so we're, we're all going to get to that, right? Because is it a love story? Is it a action film? Is, is it, it a romantic comedy? Is, is it a it comedy? A, you know, like, Is it a comedy yeah. in general? I had trouble identifying yeah, it on yeah. my own until I started researching it, and yeah. then I, I got it a little bit more. But um, yeah, when I was watching it, I was like, pick a lane. <laughs> yeah. The, the reason I say that is because I don't know that they committed to any one thing really well. I think they like I think they spread themselves a little bit too thin, I guess. Yeah. So James Cameron actually got some backlash for the script. I guess some Arab American groups did not like that the terrorists were depicted as Arab American or Arab terrorists. Um, he said that he was only looking for generic terrorists. Initially, they used, it was written in the script that it was going to be Irish terrorists, which I didn't know that. The reference about Irish terrorists refers to the fact that the early draft of the script did have like rogue IRA operatives. So talking about more of the Irish like IRA, but it was dropped because there was another movie released in the same time era, uh, Blown Away with Tommy Lee Jones and Jeff Bridges that came out. So he didn't want to have two movies in that same year with IRA or Irish members as the villains. Cameron ultimately included an entry near the end of the credits which stated that none of the characters in his movie were meant to be representative of any real racial, religious, ethnic, or social groups. Did you guys feel one way or the other about it being depicted as Arab Americans or Arab people? I think at the time, I didn't. But this is 94, right? This is 94. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
I mean, it's not something I, I really pay attention to because I feel like so many movies that we watch, especially post 9-11, depict the villains as, you know, Middle Eastern or Arab terrorists. So like the thought of it completely slipped my mind. I was just like, okay, you know, it's it's another movie with this demographic playing the villain. But like when you really think about it, it's just like, crap, like this demographic is once again playing the villain like again, you know, even in a pre 9-11 world and so i can understand from that perspective you know why are we portrayed as the villain why are we portrayed it you know in like a stereotypical fashion i can i can understand where they're coming from for sure yeah i get it i mean they do the movie does i'm not trying to justify whatever they did but i'm just saying like they do show that the art that's coming is from persia you know the middle east i mean they try to build this story of why maybe maybe arab terrorists make sense in the movie but I, I do, I, I mean, I see where they're coming from. When the film was initially released, the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee was one of several groups to hold a protest at Washington, D.C. Um, it was actually at a local theater in D.C. The groups attacked the film for its depiction of, quote, Middle Eastern uh, homicidal religious zealots. A demand for the boycott of the film was called, as well as a ban of its distribution in 54 Arab and Muslim countries. Sorry to interrupt, but um, I got a question. Um, was this one of the first films, United States films, to depict this particular group as villains? I mean, I'm trying to think right now why you said that. I, I don't remember a lot of films that even portrayed that prior yeah, like to this. Yeah, prior to this, I don't. I, I personally don't and remember I, that. I know after 9-11, if a film does, it's not in a comedic way like this film does. And I know that that's what kind of has stopped the, the sequel, right? Because now I have that basically Cameron said... After 9-11, the sequels were put on hold after 9-11 because now terrorism is just no longer funny, right? And that's why everything has been, hey, we're not going to do this film and all that stuff. But prior to this movie, I don't ever really remember seeing a lot of... I mean, I don't I don't know. Do you guys remember any? I think prior to this movie... You know, look, the villains in our films always kind of mirror the villains of our time. You know, it was Native Americans. Then it was Nazis. Then it was, you know, Vietnamese, the Viet Cong. And then probably Russians and at then, some point. Yeah, Russians, Russians for a while. Yeah. Russians, Russians during the Cold time. War. It was Russians for a long time. And then right, right when 9-11 hit, every single movie was just Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern. I also think it's important to just remember that um, in 1993, there was the original attack on the World Trade Center, which didn't have the effect of 9-11, of course, but that was uh, a significant attack that we learned about. That was the one with the bomb at the bottom, right? Uh, uh, in the yeah, on the parking garage. structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happened in 93. This movie was released in 94. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they, they had to have written this before that ever happened, I would mm -hmm. assume, yeah. And then this sequel was proposed in 2002. Oh, wow. Which is, of course... Which kind of makes sense why he's thinking this it. way. I, and yeah. I, I appreciate that he did that, yeah. Yeah. So getting to the casting, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Harry Tasker. I, I could not find anyone else that was supposed to play. Was it always Arnold, right? Well, he's the one that proposed the movie, and right. I didn't know that. So yeah. that's why, again, he's coming off Last Action Hero. Right. He wants to redeem himself. He presented this movie to James Cameron. He's worked with him in the past. And that's kind of my first point, is that this is the third collaboration that they've had together. So yeah, I don't think anyone else was considered. We were Helen was big time, though, huh? Helen was big time. Yeah. We'll get to that uh, next. Okay. But Arnold, we were talking about this earlier, was he didn't have a lot of issues with filming this movie with stunts or anything like that. But filming the tango scenes, he had to learn the tango. You told me this before we started recording. How, how long did it take for him to practice this? 
six months. So he had no prep for any other stunts in the movie, but for the tango, he practiced for, for six months. He spent a lot of time in the Harrier jet. He had to do other things, but for this, just to prep for those scenes, because he does it in the beginning, and then he does it at the end with Jamie Lee Curtis. But I think the reason he wanted to rehearse and get this right was because Sense of a Woman had just come out a couple years prior to this. Have you guys ever seen Sense of a Woman? No. Great movie. I think it was one of the few movies that Al Pacino got nominated for an Oscar for. Oh, I did read that. He said Al Pacino in that gave him like not only incentive, but like... He wanted to make sure it was just as good as that scene as Al Pacino did. Probably because Al Pacino was playing a blind man and still did the tango that well. So he wanted to make sure he did it just as good. Um, another interesting fact about Arnold during the filming of this is he had a near fatal accident on the set during the horse riding scene. His horse got startled and ran out of control. Did you read about this, Mugga? I did, and, and then he fell off like the side of the building almost, and it was like 90 feet towards the drop, and a stuntman actually had to pull him off is what I got, correct? What I thought was funny is that he does all this training for this movie of being this you know spy guy, and he doesn't do any for just a tango. He doesn't do any training for a horse because I guess he thought that the training through Conan, both movies, was enough. And it's like, dude, you almost died because of what... But I heard the horse was spooked by a camera, right? That's what I read, too. Yeah. 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 Also, who puts a horse at the top of a 90-foot drop? Like, that seems like an James insane Cameron. thing to do. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And I couldn't link it together. Is it related to the scene where he actually does fall off it the side of... It must be, because I mean, why else would they need to be so high? Part, right? I mean, yeah, why else would they need falling, to be high with the horse? It, it, the has, to, it has, has to be. be. I mean, that's the only time... Well, he does ride around the horse during DC, but when they're doing the buildings, that's the only part that I can see this happening. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree. So getting into Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Helen Tasker, uh, James Cameron had always wanted to work with Jamie Lee Curtis ever since seeing her in A Fish Called Wanda, which came out in 1988. I guess it's uh, a comedy inspired by British writers of Monty Python. I've never seen it, but I did look it up a little bit. Um... What's really interesting about Jamie Lee Curtis's role is there were so many other actresses that were up for her part. Do you guys know some of the actresses? So I, got, I got a few, and I know I haven't even touched the surface. I, I can okay. name a few or just let you go off on what you have. I mean, well, I'll start with Jodie Foster. Got her right away, yeah. Rosanna Which Arquette. She, oh, oh, she was actually cast for a little bit, but then left for a different movie, didn't she? She left for a movie called Nell. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were thinking of her she and like she declined it, it and she declined it. Got it. Okay. Because she was uh, committed to Nell. Um, so Rosanna Arquette, Kim Basinger. Really? Kim Basinger? I didn't yeah. read that. Annette Benning. Yeah. Uh, Joan Cusack. Gina Davis. I have Gina Davis. Melanie Griffith. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Madonna. Demi Moore. Michelle Pfeiffer. Sharon Stone. Emma Thompson. Leah Thompson. Deborah Winger. Sojourney Weaver. Julianne Moore. Julia Roberts. Claudia Jeez. Wells. <laughs> Um, Mary are Elizabeth. Just, are you just going through the Rolodex? Like, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. It would sound like it, right? I mean, Sandra Bullock. Um, there, there's a ton of people considered for this role, which I thought was really interesting. Did you ever find out why Jamie Lee Curtis got it and what was the reason why she stood out? Well, again, like James Cameron had always wanted to work with her okay. um, because he saw her in that movie again, a, a Fish Called Wanda, which came out about six years before this movie. So I think he just chose her because of that. But a lot of people, I think, I guess we we're tossing around a ton of names. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis won a Golden Globe for her performance as Helen Tasker, too. Wow. She's awesome. Yeah. Tom Arnold, Albert Gibb Gibson. Yeah. I just, let's refer to him as Gibb from here on out. Gibb. Okay. All right. 
So uh, I didn't know this, but Tom Arnold said this is like his favorite movie he's ever so been in. Before you get to that, I, I, I have that too, but I also have, how do you pronounce her name? Tia Carrera, am I saying it wrong? Uh, that's we're how just, I'm pronouncing it. We're just gonna it. call her Tia Carrera. Okay, and I heard her and Tom Arnold both said this is one of their favorite roles they've ever played. I agree. I do have that. something else that Jamie Lee Curtis said though. What did she say? She says, without a question, this is the greatest experience of my personal life so far on this movie. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. That These three actors both said, I mean, sorry, all three said, like, this is, like, one of the best times I've ever had as far as in Hollywood. Yeah. So that, that was kind of cool. Did you hear what happened with Tom Arnold, though, how he almost got kicked off the film? Are you getting to that? I read part of that. If you want to take it, go ahead. Well, so he was, at the time, married to Roseanne Barr, correct? Correct. And then they were going through a divorce, and they thought it would be bad publicity. But I heard Cameron stepped in and said, no, like, I, I need this guy on the film. Which, to me, I, I, I love that he did that, because I think the, the interaction between him and Arnold Schwarzenegger, are, I mean, they're really good friends, I think, because of this movie. Or I don't, but, but I think they really feed off each other. The energy with them, too, is, I think is great, you know? Yeah because they actually are to this day really good friends too yeah. and I, it may be from this movie but yeah he was going through a lot of stuff so you can see some of the lines in this movie yeah. were actually <laughs> where they're talking about divorces and cheating and I think it's great dude. throwing the ice tray there's lots yeah. of stuff that's from his actual divorce there's also some people that are actually up for the role of Gibb as well do you guys did you guys read any of that so I Joe that. Joe Pesci really? turned down the role yeah uh, Dan Aykroyd Bill Murray John Goodman Steve Gutenberg they were all up for this role wow Next person I want to kind of get into is Charlton Heston. So Spencer Trilby. Does he remind you of anyone? See, I wanted to bring this up to Kerwin. Does and, he okay, I, I'm going to say, I know who you guys are going to get, but he reminds me of number two from Austin Powers. He does, because that's because yeah. of that iPad. That one I didn't have written down. That's a good <laughs> that's one. That's the that's one I'm going to say, because that was my initial reaction. Now, of course, during like research, we found out that he was intended to be someone else, which I'll let you guys discuss. Go ahead, Kerwin. Yeah, it looks like a pirate. No, come on. Kerwin, <laughs> you know what I'm looking for, Kerwin. You know what I'm looking for. Because you're the guy that no, knows I, the Marvel. I mean. No, yeah, I mean, look, he, he obviously looks like Nick Fury, like David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. Um, you know, they, they operate like a clandestine government agency, like Omega Sector. Like, as soon as I saw the big emblem on the floor, I was like, oh, it's like S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, and the leader mm -hmm. has like an eye patch. Like, everything about this screams like 1980s, 1990s, like Marvel S.H.I.E.L.D., and then and an I, eye patch, of course. Yeah, the signature eye patch. I, I didn't know that Cameron wanted to be a comic book penciler at one point. So, like, that's why he, he kind of gravitated to the way that Charlton Heston's character looked. Just kind of a side note, too. Uh, he actually designed the T-800 endoskeleton. Like, he drew it out himself. Like, he really wanted to be, like, a comic book penciler. Oh, that wow. was pretty cool. Um, I didn't have much on Juno Skinner, uh, Tia Carrera, except that she really loved being in this film. And because that she, she got to play the villain. As exactly. Well. She yeah. always wanted to be a villain, so she was happy she got to do that. So uh, the character Salim Abu Aziz, or Art Malik. James Cameron remembered Art Malik's work in The City of Joy, which came out in 92, and offered him the role without any kind of audition or anything like that. Malik took the role and he described it as, quote, a hoot at a time when he had been 14 months without work and was being pursued by the Inland Revenue for 32,000 pounds. Do you know what the Inland Revenue is? This is like the British version of the IRS. So he was basically, I don't know if it was tax, it, I mean, obviously it was tax issues, I don't know if it was evasion or what it was, but he was being pursued for them by 32,000 pounds, so... Following his appearance in True Lies, Malik was offered several roles in other action movies, but turned a lot of them down later explaining that he didn't want to do action movies that weren't as good as True Lies. Wow. So he really enjoyed the role. My last character I want to get to is Dana Tasker, 
played by Eliza Dushku. I love her. Yeah. She's uh, in Bring It On. Yeah, she, yeah she's and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There you go. Jay and Silent Bob, are we not going to say she was in Jay and Silent Bob? Oh, too? yeah, she was in that one. I forgot. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to get into this, but uh, there was one part where she actually broke some of her ribs uh, while filming. The Harrier scene, right? Yeah, yeah, one of the Harrier jet stunt scenes. Later, it was revealed that it may have not been entirely an accident. So in January of 2018, uh, Eliza Dushku revealed that she was a, you know, when she was a 12 year old actress making this movie, that she's claiming that she was sexually molested by the film's 36 year old stunt coordinator, Joel Kramer. Dushku detailed how Kramer groomed her for several months to gain her friendship and her parents' trust, contrived to spend an evening alone with her, and then ultimately molested her. She said that an adult friend confronted a Kramer on the set about the abuse uh, she incurred during uh, the stunt. Dushku alleges that this was no small coincidence, to be clear, over the course of those months uh, rehearsing filming of True Lies. It was Joel Kramer who was responsible for my safety on a film that at a time broke new ground for action films. On a daily basis, he rigged wires and harnesses on my 12-year-old body. My life was literally in his hands. He hung me in open air from a tower crane atop an office tower 25 plus stories high. Whereas he was supposed to be a protector, he was my abuser. And then after she made this statement, I believe it was on Twitter, that you know Arnold, Jamie Lee Curtis, James Cameron, they all reached out to her uh, and commended her for her bravery coming out with this. But So she's saying because of what happened prior, that what he had done, him being the coordinator of all this, it was no accident. It was something. Yes. So once she went to her unnamed adult friend right. who confronted him, that he somehow rigged whatever harness or safety constraint she was in and allowed her to get injured because of that. I had no wow. idea about this. And the weird thing is if we would have done this podcast two years ago, we would have never known. That Probably the, not. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this was just in January 2018 that she came out with this. So on to the production. Um, the opening sequence. It's in the snow. It's really cold. I didn't know that many problems plagued the shooting of this sequence. The mansion scene was filmed on an extremely cold night, and it wasn't heated. A lot of the women wore dresses but didn't wear anything under to protect themselves from the elements. A costume change room was set up outside in the cold. They had nothing to heat themselves but kerosene lamps in these tents. One of the extras' blouses caught fire at one point. For their suffering, all the extras were paid an extra 50 bucks. But $50. 50 bucks. That's all there. I mean, you imagine that scene with yeah. all the people dancing and in the mansion, and out and about. There, right? Yeah, and they only gave him 50 bucks. We got to talk about this horse scene, too. I, oh, man. Well, but before you go on, let's go to yeah. this, this, back to the mansion thing. Yeah. Where do you have that taking place? I had that it takes place at actually two mansions in Newport, Rhode Island. I had Rhode Island, but I didn't have the, yeah, I don't and, know where the other ones are. And one actually featured uh, the 1974 film Great Gatsby. Oh, really? That's what, that's what I read. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I did not read that, that it was just cold and that, that like, they got paid $50 for their Can you imagine going suffering. through all that and yeah. it's like, oh, here's another 50 bucks. You're paying suffering. That's all you get. But what happens after that film? So he says the great one-liner, here's my invitation, bam, right? You know. Yeah. Then he starts leaving off and what chases him? 
two dogs, right? You yep. know. Do oh you, no. No, no. But but hear me out. I, I get what you're saying. And the two dogs just run after him. Do you know where I'm going with this on this? I I think yeah. so. So they the way they edit it is really it's oh, really genius. Yeah. It's, and he slams the two dogs heads together. Like he headbutts them together. But really slow it down. They're rubber dogs. <laughs> and they that just was jiggle. It's really comedy when you I, see it. I was trying to save that because that was a trash. Oh, I'm no, so it's sorry. okay. It's okay. okay. Yeah. But what I want to get to because right after that. This is going to pertain to all of us. After that, um, there's the whole skiing part where he's going down the hill and all that stuff. Do you know where that was filmed at? No. Nope. Where was that at? Tahoe. Tahoe, right outside of Truckee. Yes. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That's awesome. I thought that was me. I, th- I thought we had to like talk about yeah. that. We've all been down the, the Truckee River, you know. That's badass, man. There, there's a shout out for you, Jose. Just hope you're listening. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, that all took place there. That was pretty cool. The horse scene. What did you guys think of the horse scene? Doesn't need to be in there. Over the top, <laughs> yeah. man. I love it. You love it, really? Stop lying. I like. I like. I like the horse there's chase. A, there's a few things about the horse chase that I struggle with. Number one, like a normal horse that's trained for like this kind of work would not be comfortable like running through a hotel lobby, getting into an elevator. Like, there's no way that a horse like willingly does that. A police horse who's not trained to like do that. Number yeah, one. but I mean, like this horse is trained to do that. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, also, it, there it, was a scene where he like runs through the river, which or like a, a fountain of some sort, which I read that they originally wanted to be in the Washington Monument, but uh, the government was like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, the National Park Service were yeah. like, no, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, so they changed it to a fountain. Uh, but Kerwin, when you and I were watching this movie, even we were like, uh, that was pretty anticlimactic because it's like all slow motion. The music doesn't swell or anything, and he's just like is running through a fountain, and there's no like editing that makes it into a big deal other than slightly slower than normal. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of anticlimactic, and like some moments of it are silly. Like we'll get into it in like Trash or Treasure, but I like that sequence. I personally do like it. You, you it's like just when slow he goes and it's up long. The elevator. <laughs> he's following a motorcycle. I mean, no. I mean, look, we'll get into it in Trash okay. or Treasure. All right. All right. Well, it was awful. You're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, my big point was that they wanted the horse to run through the reflecting pool at the Washington Monument. I did not know that. That's yeah. kind of, wow. And the National Park Service was like, yeah, ain't going to happen. Would they, why would they say no to that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They just refused for it to happen. Wow. But a couple of things I'm going to call you mugs for is the bridge scene. So the bridge scene and the Harrier jet scene. So yeah. what, do you, what do you have for the bridge at scene? At the end, right? Do you yeah, want to so do the bridge or you want to do the Harrier Let's first? start with the bridge scene, I think. I need help with the bridge because, okay, so this does supposedly take place in the Seven Mile Bridge out in the Florida Keys, correct? Correct. Um, and I honestly think that there's three locations they actually used to film this. One, the actual place itself where they had helicopter cameras and so on. And then I know for a fact they also built an 80-foot model, but I, I believe they also built an actual bridge where they could do some other things with the limo scenes and all that mm. stuff. I'm not quite sure, but uh, uh, I would love to get into the 80-foot model if you guys want me to. This team that he gave, hey, here's what I want. He wanted a, a, a bridge, uh, the van, um, under the van, or whatever the vehicles that are on there, to be going through and miniature and all that stuff um, to get blown up. And when it blows up from the missiles, there's going to create a lip, correct, which you guys remember seeing. Right. 
Cameron wanted the uh, van to actually go up and do a backflip into the the water. The guy said, "Physically, this is not possible." <laughs> you know, um, physical wise, but he goes, "But don't worry, I'll make this look cool." So what they did is um, they shot it, and the way they did it not only goes up this miniature thing, but then it lands. But it does look really cool. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up, they were so nervous that. They wanted this to look real to as much as they could, that they actually thought that the model that they had would break, I guess, when it landed on their little miniature bridge. So they actually made little cases that looked like they were harvesting uh, the nuclear bombs just in case it exploded. I guess Cameron then saw the footage of them, went up on the lip and came down and loved it and he wanted even more. So they asked him, hey, what if it like slid off on the side, this and that? So he actually asked for like more of it, you know? They said it was the worst thing in the world, three and a half weeks of just trying to get another, and then I guess the day they finally got the exact shoot, he cut it from the film, this whole sequence. He didn't even see what they did. He said, all right, we'll just go with what you guys had and just we're done. So, so he asked guys, them to do that. And, and then, then they, they took him three and a half weeks because they couldn't, I guess, something about the miniature toy with the rubber wheel would like actually hit the lip and then start it to spin and it wouldn't land and do what they actually want it to do. So they figured if they put it as like a metal wheel and they actually like painted on the rims and all that and they finally got to it and he's like, well, we don't need it anymore. <laughs> so he was like, Jesus. it was just cut from the film, yeah. I've tried to look up though um, the whole limo scene. I think that it, that is a part of they actually built themselves. I, I didn't read a lot about it. All I know is that Jamie Lee Curtis was really hanging out she, she was the one that actually did that, and it was actually on her birthday. Oh, it was? <laughs> it was I didn't know it was, it was on her birthday. It was her birthday when they filmed that scene, yeah. But I guess she was like, you know, at the end, like, Arnold actually grabs her, obviously, and she's hanging out of the helicopter, but I guess there was times where they would, like, cut, and she's just, like, hanging there out of the helicopter for, like, a long period of time. Jesus. She's, and just, like, hanging there, just dangling around, but she she didn't like that very much. Yeah, it, it, it was really tough to research that. I do have a lot on the Harrier, though. Uh, before we get into that... Um, Obviously, there were some scenes on the actual bridge. There was, there the, was, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The exact one that, the real one. Uh, and I guess what they did was they like they closed off sections of the bridge for minutes at a time. Uh, and during that time, while the bridge was closed, for them to like shoot their scenes, they had like girls walking around bumper stickers. to the drivers yeah. that were waiting for the the bridge to reopen, handing out Pepsi and uh, bumper stickers too really promoting the movie which is kind of like a nice marketing move yeah. but I thought that was kind of cool did you say what was the what did the bumper sticker say what did you say oh I don't know said I was. got stopped on the yes. what is it the seven mile bridge I got stopped Something, I got yeah. stopped on the seven mile bridge by Omega Sector that's what it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the Harrier jet scene so we were watching a documentary a little earlier where they actually had to go to the Pentagon and James Cameron had to describe what they wanted to do with these aircrafts. And the Marines actually supplied three Harrier jets and their pilots for a fee of $100,000, $2,400 per hour. Is that what you got, Muggs? Yeah, yeah. twenty four ten actually, hourly rate. So I guess a full-scale model of the Harrier jet was built for all the close-ups when they were shooting Arnold inside the cockpit. It was puppeteered from a crane on a nearby building, which was painted out with CGI. As the Harrier lands in the street, particle dust and debris shot on a blacked out stage were digitally composited into the full size model footage, along with CGI heat signature and jet wash. So I guess they showed, they CGI'd all of like the heat or the air coming out uh, of the jets. 
it was suspended with steel cables in the air. Um, the, the steel cables were obviously digitally removed. As an extra gag, a practical piece of paper also shot on a stage and gets sucked into the Harrier CGI compressor fan that is digital compositing. But I was reading, because I was kind of researching this Harrier jet, but they've been around for decades, if not over a half century. See, I did not know that. Yeah, there's different models of these jets, but I didn't know that they were very delicate. So again, we were watching this documentary. It's about a 22 to 24 minute documentary before where Jamie Lee Curtis narrates it. It's a very small clip, but they talk about that on this scene, right after the freeway scene where the Harrier jets come down, that they literally, all the staff, crew, um, actors, everyone was asked to go around all of the pavement, the asphalt and pick up any kind of debris, little pebbles, sticks, anything, because these Harrier jets use air. So they not only push forcefully down here, but they suck air up from the middle of the plane. And if they suck up any kind of debris, it can just, ruin it could just ruin it. Yeah. So they show Jamie Lee Curtis walking up to the camera. She has like glasses or a helmet on and she's walking up to the camera showing like, like the smallest little pebbles all piled up. She's like, I had to go around and pick this up so we don't ruin this plane. Cause they get a broom. I, I don't, I'm sure they broomed it. I'm sure but they. No, the, it's on the part where it's not on an aircraft carrier. It's not on a no, military no, 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 no. So I think that's why it wasn't actually made for a Harrier. If you're on an aircraft carrier, I would assume there's some sort of protocol to clear the, right, the I'm, surface. I'm just asking, like, why not just sweep the area instead of, like, or vacuum it up instead of asking extras know. to go around and pick or, up. Or your star of the movie. You right. Know? Well, well, that, but they're also, like, near also, water. What if they too? missed one? They're, they're near water too so I would imagine there's some kind of breeze I'm sure shit gets blown all over it for sure. all the time but yeah it's just interesting that like you know this massive powerful multi-million dollar machine that you know a few pebbles could fuck it up yeah. I just thought it was interesting that they're going around picking all this up I guess it was one of the most intense scenes for them to film to with this uh, Harrier jet I'll, I'll quote this this is from IMDB I, um, you guys can help me a little bit um Additionally, this final shot took so long to complete to James Cameron's satisfaction that on his next project with the studio, T2, the 3D Battle Across Time. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say T2, the Battle Across Time? No. It was at Universal Studios. Oh. So they used to have the Michael Jackson experience. Right. But then they had this huge, like, Cyberdyne-like kind of studio right. where you walked in and it showed, like, kind of after T2 when they go back to the future. And it was 3D. And the, you guys remember this? Well, I didn't go. I never that was the, that's the That's where the Transformers ride is now. Yeah. I think it might be where the Transformers like ride the is. The bottom lot, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but it was like, I don't know. I thought it was pretty badass. I'm kind of bummed you guys didn't No, no. I, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Jason, I went with you a year ago to Universal Studios for the first time just so I could ride Jurassic I know, but I'm just bummed. I'm just bummed. But a lot of them worked on the same thing, and they wore some pin to remember the Harrier jet incident. Well, not incident, but just the filming of it because it was so intense, referring to the 29th shot in the Miami sequence for the film. So they wore some pin called No MI-29s. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny. But they also created a soundstage for the Harrier jet, and they created the largest 180-degree green screen ever built as of 2014. Arnold recalls the experience being in the Harrier jet as one of the most intense ones. He said he spent more time in this jet than most of the pilots do just filming some of this. I'm sure that's exaggerated, but I guess through filming this, whether it was on the green screen, above the tower, everything, he spent so much time in the cockpit. I don't know what else you have on this mug. So, I, well, no, I, I agree with you on that, how they filmed this, because I think James Cameron said this is the money of this movie. They wanted it to look real with the Harrier jet, Arnold in the actual cockpit. 
So what I had is they actually built a 7,000 pound replica of the Harrier jet itself. And what it did is it sat on this $20,000 point motion control system, what I got. This uh, system could tilt 60 degrees in any direction that it wanted. And uh, because of that, and then with the computers, they could actually make it do what it wants to do consistently. So they could do numerous takes. They could actually alter it which way it wanted to go and whatnot. And they had total control because of this. Um, There's two locations. They actually wanted to actually film on top of a Miami building, which is a lot that you see. I think if you see any shots where it's not an aerial view, it has uh, the daughter, him, or whatnot flying it. That's what you're seeing. If you see anything that's above the actual Harrier jet, um, where you see the, the, the ground or like a, a broadened view of like actually Miami itself, that was at that green skin that you're talking about in LA. But yeah, they, it was an actual plane and that they could actually put Arnold in the cockpit and with the computers, it would actually do the exact same thing over and over and over again so they could actually put the cameras where they wanted, have total control and just be there to get the exact shot that they actually wanted. Which I thought, I thought that was interesting, you know. I think you showed me of the crane thing where they can do other things. This is more or less when he's just hovering right around where the crane was at with his daughter and then other points. Yeah, then. I think they just use the crane to get it up to the device you're talking about to yeah. be able to move it. I, I was confused. I thought they used the crane. No, but, but there's the time where he's firing at the side of the building. I think that that, that might have been, been where been that, that, yeah, there's yeah. that. Because if they don't have to fire it up, you know, like, I mean, maybe that's what they're doing, you know. And they just use their propane tanks the to propane show. propane tanks to show the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the firing, fire, yeah. yeah. Um, just a couple fun facts and then we'll get into our experience. Um, so Jamie Lee Curtis does this kind of strip tease that I think is pretty famous. Um, I guess they wanted her to be naked yeah. during this, but then Jamie Lee Curtis had the idea of, hey, let me do this in like underwear, lingerie, whatever. Well, they wanted naked in the dark. She's like, hey, I think it'd be better if I did it in my, you know, her underwear. underwear. She did it for James Cameron. <laughs> And I think James Cameron said something like, quote, like, this is why I love being a director, because he got to witness this is a direct quote that I, I saw. I mean, Jason, I always give you shit for it, but her physique in this movie is on point. It's, it it's is on point. She looks incredible. It's it is so on insane. point, yeah. Her transformation from yeah. like this, she's not a stay-at-home mom because she works, but yeah. she just looks like kind of, you know, plain Jane a little bit. Well, and she I love turns how they portray this. her at the beginning of the film as this stay-at-home Playing Jane, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, yeah. <laughs> where did that come from?" Yeah, she well, put I some mean, some vase water in her hair, and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, it's all I mean, takes. But guys, don't forget the importance of body language. <laughs> really, really, no one's gonna get that joke other than one person. Nobody gets not, half of your and jokes. He's not listening to it, you know. Um, but during that scene, the point I wanted to make just a couple fun facts before we get into experience again um, is that Arnold drops the tape recorder at one point. Yeah. And I guess that wasn't in the script. So it wasn't, and James Cameron liked it. I also read, though, that when she falls and gets right back up, that was not also in the script. That, I heard that wasn't in the script either. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's pretty, like, cool parts that they kept in. I yeah. Well, they're, like, comedic parts, right? So if you're trying to be a comedy, they it, make sense to, like, leave in. Yeah. I mean, we read that, you know, James Cameron only left in two lines, so you got to spread the comedy right. around somehow. Yeah. But I also heard that was her own bra and underwear. I yeah, read that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact: I didn't know that this was also the third movie that. I mean, I knew it was the third movie with Arnold that James Cameron had done, but also uh, the third movie with Bill Paxton and Arnold. So they had the first Terminator. Uh, Bill Paxton was like a punk at the beginning in the in the beginning of the and first Terminator. And Titanic. No. Oh, Arnold wasn't in Titanic. Hey, come no, on, I thought, about, I thought you were about Bill Paxton. No, Bill Paxton and Arnold together. I'll give you a second. You're. Not, I Bill mean, Kerwin might get it because I don't think you've seen this movie. We just talked about this, Kerwin. And I was like, not a lot of people have seen that movie. Commando. Commando. Really? Yeah, so he's also in Commando. 
So that was the three movies. And then last little fun fact, unless you guys got anything, how many people, what's the body count in this movie? Oh no. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Do you think it's over 50 or under 50? Over, it has to be over, over 50. Over, do you think it's be. over 70 or under 70? Over. Over 70. Do you think it's over 80? I'm, I'm keeping it at like 73. What do you think, Muggs? TJ can see my screen, so he's not allowed. I'll go over 80. It's 90. Yeah. Wow. He's putting John Wick. Well, I mean, like, the aerial scene where he's shooting into the building. I mean, he, what, there's 10 guys right there. He also, like, on that island. The island. He just walks out just throwing knives and everything else. I mean, a gun falling down the stairs. Yeah, and then, yeah, that was, well, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> that was awful. So bad. So do you guys have any fun facts or anything like I, that? I have one. I'm surprised no one said it. Please take the ice cube trays. Come on. Anyone want to take oh, that one? Uh, Jason I, did say I, it. I mentioned it, but go ahead. Go no, no, get no, into you it. Go ahead. no, you go no, ahead. No, take no, it. no, no. It's okay. I mentioned it earlier, but if you want to get into it, go ahead. So he, he does say, you know, what kind of, is it crazy bitch or what kind of? What kind of crazy bitch takes, takes the, the ice cube trays out of there the you freezer? Go. And apparently that's a reference to Roseanne Barr actually taking his ice cube trays in their divorce. I thought that was amazing. I, I'm surprised I didn't put this in the financials at the time. Uh, this was the top earning R-rated movie of all time. I know that's been surpassed since then, but yeah, the top earning um, R-rated film of all time. That's that's what I had. It was also, I think I read the third highest grossing film of the year. I think I read that. You had Forrest Gump and other ones that year, yeah. I deleted my note because we had already passed the financial part. Yeah, but. no worries. I read a rumor, not a rumor, but I read something. I don't know if it's true or not. Is James Cameron's voice in this movie? I did read that he says a line. One in line, it. and it's supposed to be when they're raiding Bill Paxton's house, or what was his name again in the actual film? Simon. Simon. And you hear someone along the intercom, she's got her head in his lap. Yahoo. Yep, that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. James Cameron's that too, voice, yeah. I yep, guess. I thought that was, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Oh, that's when they're uh, kind of watching them in the convertible? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so said. James Cameron, I, well, that voice comes from the helicopter pilot. Yeah. And that's who, that's that's who says James it. That's James Cameron's yeah. voice. Yeah. Um, there's a video game. Uh, there it is. Movie. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it came out on Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and the Game Boy, and the Sega Game Gear. Um, it's a shooter uh, on, like, the old school 32-bit systems. And it's literally, um, it's literally like Metal Slug, but the camera is on top of you instead of uh, on the side. It's not a side-scroller. And all the game is is just Arnold Schwarzenegger's character just going around killing people. That's the entire game. It's kind of like the movie. Pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a fun game. Yeah. The only other thing I got, there's still, to this date, no Blu-ray copy of this movie. So you cannot buy this on Blu-ray. I heard they finally made like a master version of it so they can produce a Blu-ray. But yeah, still to this day, there's no Blu-ray. Well, I mean, now that like Disney owns the rights, they'll probably be a Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and funny thing that you bring that up, they're announcing that they're going to make supposedly a TV series on Disney+. Plus. That's supposed to accompany True Lies. Oh, you um, really? I was about to say you lie, but no. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't. Hear, I didn't know that. Yeah. Got got to get yeah. Disney Plus. Uh, so let's get into our experience with this movie. TJ, why don't you tell us about your experience with True Lies? All right. So my very first experience with this film was probably when I was like 12 years old, and I walked downstairs, and my parents were watching the movie. It was like probably on HBO or on something, but it was a strip tease scene. So obviously like a 12 year old boy watching a striptease and with his parents, very, very awkward. That was the, the only thing I knew about this movie was that there was a striptease scene. I actually didn't watch the movie until last night when Kerwin was generous enough to bring the DVD over so that we could watch it together for- Not the Blu-ray, the DVD. <laughs> no, definitely the DVD uh, so that we could watch it in preparation for the podcast today. 
So that was the first time that I saw it. I gotta say, like, I'm surprised I haven't seen this movie until yesterday, but uh, I haven't. So that was pretty much my experience. We just watched it at home. Uh, my experience with the movie, uh, I do remember renting this a lot from Blockbuster back in the day. Um, and then I do remember seeing it on TV a couple times. But I haven't seen it in such a long time. I forgot about most of it. I always thought for some reason in the back of my mind that the horse chase scene was the last scene of the movie. How could you think you, you like the nope. air jet scene? Like you, you no, but I, I forgot most of the movie. That's crazy. I forgot most even of crazy. The movie. Even when we, like we were getting ready to watch the movie last night, Kerwin was like, "I was like, all I know is the strip tea scene," and he was like, "All I remember is the horse chase scene." And I was like, "Oh, there's a horse in here. How cool!" <laughs> and there was a horse in there. But um, yeah, um, you know, as far as experience, you know, we kind of in the group chat decided to watch this movie. And I thought I'd just put it off for like a week or so because we talked about it like two weeks in advance. So, you know, Monday rolls around. Um, I watch one of the other movies we're reviewing. And then uh, I go on Netflix Tuesday and I don't see True Lies. I go on Hulu. I don't see True Lies. I go on Amazon and I see True Lies. And I thought, OK, I'll just rent it on Amazon. Nah, nah, son. You got to fucking sign up for Cinemax streaming or some shit like that to watch True Lies. And I was like, yo, fuck this. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to sign up for this crap. So I look on Amazon for an actual copy of it. Not available on Prime. So I was like, fuck, I got to find some way to watch this bootleg it or whatever. Um, but luckily, when I went back, uh, I believe Wednesday uh, on Amazon, it was finally available on Prime uh, for a DVD. So I bought that copy. Uh, it got to my house at night. So as soon as I got back from work, I picked up the DVD and I drove straight to TJ's house and then we watched it. So, but that's pretty much my experience with this movie. So obviously, we spend a lot of time preparing for these things. <laughs> Can I ask you, does it at all bother you that that's how it has to be now in order to watch a movie? Because before, like, any movie, you could go to Blockbuster or Warehouse. I mean, I know those don't exist anymore, but now Not it's like... Not any movie, though, right? I well, mean, the I don't remember, movies you but... can get, you know? I'm just saying, like, if you have, like, an older movie like this... Like, if Blockbuster watch it, it's still... Very, it's a, it's, it's a, you can't go Redbox If this. Blockbuster still existed, I don't think that we could go in and rent True Lies. I, I disagree. They usually no. have, like, one or two copies, you no, know, No, because those those places are limited by the amount of space they have like i think after a while certain movies are going to kind of find their way out especially sure. when you, when you so talk you about think you have to, blockbuster exists right now you wouldn't find, you you wouldn't find true no lies way. you would you would find movies that are insanely popular maybe true lies is on that list but if you're talking about movies in general you're not going to find a whole lot of movies that are 25 plus years old i think things are better now because you have so many different means of accessing those films, no matter how old they are, whether it's streaming. Easy access to Yeah, yeah. streaming, renting, buying. I, I thought to myself, oh, I'll just go to Best Buy and buy it. But what are the odds that I would find this 25-year-old movie at Best, Buy. at Best Buy on like a Wednesday night? Like it's much easier to order it on Amazon. Plus, um, you know, they're not bound by, you know, spatial Space limits. Issues. Yeah, it's just like millions of movies right there, rent it, stream it. Just I think it's much easier now, especially when we get into like obscure or older movies. But um, yeah, I mean, that's my experience. Uh, Mugga, what's your experience with this movie? I, re I remember being, because um, this is in 94, with my grandmother at the time, um, with my brother. She was like kind of babysitting us. I think we had to actually go to my uncle's house 
and he had a black box, you know, and she would put on the TV while we were doing whatever. And then this movie at the time was very popular. So it was like looping. And I really, I mean, I didn't get to watch me, but just certain cuts. But because of that, I went home that night. And I, was, I think I begged my parents, like, hey, I really want to watch this movie or so on. And I think that was back when, you know, you could order the pay-per-view movie for whatever it was, but it started at a certain time. You couldn't just, you know, and, uh, but they let me it watch like True on Lies. Demand. It was yeah, like, like yeah. starting at this time. Starting at, you can buy it at 8.45 but it was 8.30 you had 15 minutes to do whatever you gotta do but I remember watching it and I've seen it numerous times since then but but yeah that's I remember specifically at my uh, my uncle's house when he had a black box which he shouldn't do you know but um, I uh, really wanted to watch it movie so bad I never saw it in the theaters obviously it was rated R but yeah that's how I watched it alright Jason what's your experience with True Lies the way I remember it in my mind is that my mom I think we we had cable and we had HBO at some point and I think she had recorded it on VHS. So we had HBO, she recorded the movie. I remember it being labeled True Lies. And I think my mom was a manager of an apartment complex or she was, I forget what she was doing at the time, but anyway, she wasn't home. So (laughs) I took, I took the VHS and I was like, I want to watch this shit. So I put it in and I remember watching it. I remember it was the HBO version. So like all the cursing was in there. The strip tease was in there. It was no TVS, TNT edited version bullshit. Like it was the actual movie. And I just remember, you know, liking all the action, enjoying it as a kid and what I've seen this movie probably Jesus 10 plus times and I don't know if I agree with the ranking that they gave Arnold's top 10 movies but I think it's, it's a pretty good movie but I just remember watching it like I said like on VHS a lot and then when I used to have cable whenever it'd come on I think I would just remember this is one of the first action movies that I saw unedited especially on VHS uh, so I'd always watch it but that's my experience. All right, uh, so let's get into Trash or Treasure. TJ, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? Let's start with trash, I guess. Originally, one of my trashes was like the boss of the Omega sector, like having an eye patch and like turning around in his like spinny chair. I guess I get it now that it was like modeled after uh, Nick Fury from the Marvel comics, uh, but it still seemed like a little bit like Austin Powers to me. Like it just seemed like a little bit like too comedic. I don't know. I, I didn't really like it. I talked about this a little bit earlier, like a horse and an elevator, like Corinne, you and I talked about like, don't elevators have like weight limits? Like how much does a horse weigh? Like how does it even fit in there? How tall are elevators? Like that's crazy. The whole horse chase scene was like not great. And it was very long. Sorry, Corwin. It was very long for not a lot of payoff. Did you see the part though when like you like went through the fountain and all the water splashing? Yeah, the the slow mo. Yeah, no, I got it. Didn't love that. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. Fucking TJ and I were watching it and it's like slow mo and he's like splashing through this like Aquafina fountain and shit. The guy gets in the elevator and then Arnold just stops and he's just like, "Well, shit!" And he turns the horse around (laughs) and he gets into the the other elevator. And TJ and I look at each other. We're just like. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, what was the point of that shit? <laughs> so bad. I also have an issue with, like, the gun scenes and the fact that, like, bullets only went where they were supposed to go. They never, like, in the bathroom scene, bullets were flying all over the place in that bathroom. And that old man in the stall did not get hit or even grazed once. Nothing. 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 Yeah. I mean, there there were bullets everywhere. And then on top of that, when um, Tom Arnold's character was, like, chasing the main uh, bad guy... 
and the bad guy is like shooting at him, Tom Arnold is hiding behind a light pole and the bullets are hitting the light pole, ricocheting off the light pole. Tom Arnold extends at least six inches on He's either side off, off of that light pole <laughs> and nothing hits him. Like not even a nothing. Like that's insane to me. Like it's hitting the light pole, but not the belly sticking out from the light pole. That doesn't make sense. And then again, it happened when Jamie Lee Curtis drops the gun oh. uh, down the stairs and the gun is like, number one, no one's holding the trigger, but it, it must be locked or whatever. And it's just like rolling down the stairs and just happens to hit every single bad guy, but nothing or no one else. That could happen. Okay. It's just like so crazy to me. It, I, I don't know. I also really like was confused by the movie because I didn't know if I liked it or hated it. Like I, we talked about this mugs. Like, identity, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what is it? Is it a comedy? Because the comedy wasn't very funny. There were a few times, of course, that were like laughing and it's it's not like laugh out loud laughter, but it's like, oh, haha, like that was a joke. And then the action, of course, is very actiony, but I was confused as to like what this was. Um, I'm surprised, Jason, you said that James Cameron really focused on like the love story here. Yeah, because I think he wanted the, the movie to be like an action thriller love story. But he really he really harped on the love story part. Yeah, like I mean, I think I read the same article you did where he said that he focused on the love story first action and comedy came after that but I didn't really get that from at, the film at least not till like the third part of the movie you know what I mean That's it, where it really I, wasn't clear to me yeah. so it seemed like the movie had a little bit of an identity crisis and then my major trash was um, what's the guy's first Harry Harry Tasker yeah. Harry Tasker uh, using all of national resources to trick his wife into thinking that she was part of some secret spy organization the strip tease scene was like really weird to me. And then I don't know, it just went down a route that I'm like, is this really like the only way that you can get your wife to have some sense of adventure in her life? Like, why don't you just take her on vacation or something? Like we could have easily gotten to this point uh, without the whole like deception of like, now you're a spy for us, but really I'm your husband. Well, I think that all stems from her attraction to Simon. It's like she felt like she was risking something. There was an element of danger, suspense. You know, she wanted to to live, you know, in big capital letters. And I feel like Arnold kind of got that. It's just like, now I know why you're attracted to this, like, you know, fucking slimeball dude. He's a secret agent and you're in danger and you get to participate in something that is not your mundane life that you have lived. And I think he was just like, you know what? I'm going to give her the opportunity to do this, but I will put it in a more controlled environment. Maybe. I just, I don't know what the end game was from all of that because it's like once he like got off the chair in that strip tea scene and like went over to the bed, it just seems like it. How do you come back from that? Number one, either she touches you or whatever and she has this enormous guilt that she cheated on her husband in the sake of national security for the rest of her life because you never tell her or you tell her that I was tricking you the whole time and now she's mad at you that you tricked her the whole time. Well, I think what, what's in, the end game there? Well, I think from the La Total movie was that th his whole plan was to do this and then ultimately reveal that he was a secret agent. So I think that was his whole goal. And I think even in the movie that I mean, we don't know, but I would I would think based off of that movie that that's what his goal was too. how that would go over. I agree it because like then it shows like, hey, like. So were you going to cheat on me though? Like after all this right. is done, it's like, hey, we get back home and this is fun and maybe they bone down and stuff like that and they get back to reality and say, hey, that was fun and all and like now you know what I do, but what were you gonna do? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, it just seems then, like a trap. And then there's the other aspect of like, so like you kidnap me, you get all these guns, you lock me in a room, you 
potentially psychologically damage me. I mean, me that's traumatic. By right? putting me, yeah, putting me in, in this that inter- interrogation room. Yeah, and it's just like, and then I have to agree to strip tease for some foreign guy and pretend to be his hooker, even though it turned out to be you. But it's just like, think of all the uh, the psychological aspects of that. It's just like, fuck, I have to do this or I'll never see my husband again. Fuck, I have right. to do this. Yeah, it, it's just. That's all, a lot all of just stuff because that, you what because you want me to like be adventurous just like fucking take me ziplining or something I don't know yeah just just tell me straight up like right there in that interrogation room he should have just told her like, just like look I'm a, I'm the real spy this guy's a fucking weirdo and just say like yo we kept tabs on you because we didn't know what the fuck was happening this guy's claiming to be right. a spy now I will say that the result of all of that when they get captured is both of them, right? She thinks she's the spy that they're trying to capture. He knows he yeah. knows that he's the spy they're trying to capture. Yeah. So that like little back and forth was comedic, but it was very short lived. So I don't think that the payoff was worth all of the trauma that we put her through to have that that back and forth of like, he doesn't know anything. He's a salesman. Let her go. Harry, she's let a housewife. Me handle it. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean I think it was funny and I think it was comedic in that she thought that she was the one they were after but i will also say that it was very short-lived it didn't last a long time it only lasted until they boarded the plane right and then she showed him a locket so yeah once once he started describing the warhead that's when it just ended right yeah for, that's where it ended for jamie lee curtis yeah right? yeah for treasures i thought there were some really good one-liners in this movie um really? some comedic one-liners yeah like ditch the bitch i thought that was hilarious there's another one <laughs> the vet gets them wet like <laughs> that's funny. that's funny, right? I was, I was dying when I heard that. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. The vet um, gets him wet. <laughs> the vet gets him wet. Um, also, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis was great. I think she like perfectly portrays this like uh, housewife that's scared that really wants adventure, and then she really transitions into this just because she has to be this like really total badass. Um, I really like that. I thought she did a really great job. I also really like the juxtaposition of Bill Paxton's character and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a spy pretending to be a salesman. Bill Paxton is a salesman pretending to be a spy. I thought that was like a nice little twist because ultimately what Jamie Lee Curtis's character was attracted to is exactly what Arnold Schwarzenegger was. Yeah, Yeah. so I thought that was like good, a good little twist that I, I appreciated from the movie, but that's pretty much my trash and treasure. Nice. Uh, my trash and treasure. Uh, I'm gonna just go off things I noticed though. First, they really love this grenade um, in the logo, in the menu. Oh no, yeah, there was something about there was that a cut was scene. Supposed to be. Did you read this? Correct? Towards no, the no. end to like end the movie or what? And he uses his ring to stop the grenade. Uh, it was actually her earring. So there was there a cut is, scene yeah. when when he throws a grenade on that island. Even you and I look like where did that come from? Um, there's a cut scene after they uh, when they're in the, tied up to those chairs after the truth serum gets in there and Juno's character is that her name Juno yeah, Juno Skinner Juno's yeah. character or Juno uh, puts a grenade in between Jamie Lee Curtis's legs and says something like you got to keep them closed and Jamie Lee Curtis is like oh yeah you have a hard time doing that don't you this is like a cut scene uh, and so the grenade is live and if Jamie Lee Curtis like lets it go it'll detonate I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger once they get out takes a grenade, uses her earring to repin it. 
And that's where the grenade comes from. Okay, because I was just like, what is the significance of this grenade? Yeah, in- I think it was supposed to be a larger part than it actually ended up in the cut film. Okay, now we know something. When Harry blows up the explosives at the mansion and Gib is just like, here we go. I was expecting like the Mario theme to come on, just like Mario 64 or some shit. The way he just like jumps up and says, here we go. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, okay. Like I thought it was going to be like the star music from Mario Kart or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we in your trash or treasure? Yeah. <laughs> These are things I've noticed, okay. but they, but they are they are part of my trash and treasure. Um, I really like the action in this movie. Um, you know, I'll get into my treasure, of course. I really like the action in this movie. I, I, you know, I do like the horse chase scene. That's just my thing. I think it's like a good blend of comedy and action. You know, I think it's kind of goofy, but I kind of appreciate the lightheartedness of it. I love that first scene outside the mansion where Arnold like goes underneath the lake or the pool or whatever, climbs out. And then, uh, you know, after he blows everything up, like the guys on skis are chasing him and he tells Gibb to like lean back in his chair and he like pops the guy. I thought that was pretty sick. I thought um, all the action set pieces were were really well edited and well done. I think the editing in this movie is amazing. I think the cinematography is really great. I love like the wide shots for action. We talk about this in a lot of the other movies we've done where we talk about like shoot the action wide so we can see what's happening. And I think this movie does that really well, whether it's like the hand to hand or like the jets like flying towards the bridge and shooting off their rockets. Like it's like a gorgeous shot. So I really did appreciate that. So I thought uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was really good. Um, I really appreciate her ability, not just to play the part of this nerdy wife, but also her physicality and transforming who she is. That whole mirror scene where she like rips off the parts of her dress, slicks her hair back. You, you really can feel the mood shift with that character. And I think she's an incredible, not just an incredible actor, but an incredible physical actor. She can like literally transform herself physically, you which like, is amazing. You like watch it happen. It's amazing to see her go from this plain Jane person into like someone that's like, you know, she wears this plain Jane kind of like going out dress and she catches herself. She's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I like I know the situation I'm going into. Starts pulling off like the arm and the, and the, and the bottom part, all the frilly stuff. And she's yeah. like, no, I got to be this person. And she starts doing it. It's like cool to see her, like you said, literally transform in front of her eyes. Do it, yeah. Do it right in front yeah. of you. And it happens a second time during the striptease too. Like she starts off yeah. really awkward. But like really gets into it, and I think um, it's a it's a really really great like physical performance, and she pulls it off really really well. I uh, when Harry this this might not even be trash, but it's a treasure. Who cares? Like when Harry brushes the rose on Helen's face, all I could think of was Tommy Wiseau from The Room. Jesus. <laughs> oh shit! And how they just have the roses and they're like sprinkling shit on top of each other. So I thought that was a uh, that was pretty hilarious. I do like the comedy. I love. Um, I love when uh, Gib says, what kind of sick bitch takes the ice trays out of a freezer? And I'm just like, I don't know, the kind that needs ice? Like, what the fuck do you think? <laughs> and then uh, I do like the shit where Bill Paxson's in the Corvette and they're just like, uh, he's talking about Tasker's wife and he's just like, oh yeah, she's got the most incredible body too and a pair of titties that'll make you stand up and beg for buttermilk. <laughs> and then he's like, ask like a 10 year old boy too. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Yeah, that was a head scratcher. I was like, "What are you? What are you doing there?" Yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand that. Um, one of my one of my favorite moments is uh, Gib and their their tech guy. I forget his name. 
um, but like they do the tango as they walk out because oh, yeah. yeah I thought oh, that yeah, yeah. that was a pretty hilarious scene but um, yeah overall I love the action the way everything's shot and edited I think the comedy is on point and it never goes too overboard um, as far as my trash I, I gotta agree with all of you guys this movie doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be sometimes the first part is hardcore action with a bit of comedy then it gets into kind of this like family drama where like the wife is unsatisfied and then it turns into like buddy cop then it turns into romantic comedy then it turns into romance story then it turns into a nick cage film in the last like 20 minutes you know this movie's all over the place and somehow they managed to rein it in um, i think once the wife becomes a more prominent character in the movie tom arnold's character almost disappears like you don't really feel his presence he's such a prominent figure in the first maybe half or thir- two-thirds of the movie that once his wife becomes involved like he's just the guy on the radio at that point. He's not involved at all. Yeah, I guess when you when Arnold walks into her office and starts to walk up and overhears a conversation and like hears that she's talking to some dude, I guess that's kind of where the transition starts to take place. And that's earlier on in the movie, but you kind of feel like, okay, Tom Arnold, Tom Arnold, and then it's like, okay, no, now it's Jamie Lee oh, Curtis, yeah. and it starts to. Tra- you're right that he starts to phase out. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with it per se, but I feel like you know better writing would have allowed you to know both coexist. Yeah, they could. Yeah both coexist at the forefront um so like you know when arnold's kind of handcuffed to the chair and he tells the doctor like yo i'm gonna kill you use you as a shield and kill that guy with the little knife thingy and the guy's just like how are you gonna do that and he's like i broke out of my cuffs and he like stands up and he literally just holds the guy grabs a knife throws it breaks the guy's neck and like the horse scene through the water me and tj were just like it's like damn bro like this is where you put on music cooler yeah this is where you add slow motion this is where you make it dramatic and it was just kind of like a a plain ass moment but it's it literally took like three seconds yeah it just i'm sorry sorry, crow but you just killed that scene for me yeah he's like you remember my handcuffs and the guy's like yeah i picked them like i thought it was dramatic you don't think that no it didn't it didn't feel dramatic it felt like there's a lot of it it felt like a dramatic lead up and then no payoff yeah, it was just really? kind of. It was just kind of like I liked. It. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I mean, okay, that, okay, that's okay. fine. Okay, it's your, it's your trash. I thought he asks him a question. They're like, "Hey, you know the locks?" And he's, I, like, he's like, "He's like, you remember ha- my handcuffs?" Yeah. And the guy's like, "Yes." Yeah. And he's like, "I picked them. I picked, picked them. them." Yeah, I liked it. No, you but know? then like he just. So you guys just, want a music or some sort of I, instrumental? I felt, I felt effect. like it was going to be a much more badass scene. That's all I thought. Mm. The way they kind of lead up to. Yeah, it. interesting. Yeah. That's just that's just my opinion. Um, you know, I'm going I'm to wrap this up real quick, but like you don't handcuff the kid, the teenager. You let her close to the console for the bomb. I didn't understand why you would do that as a terrorist. Please help me out. And getting into the daughter herself. I don't think you needed the daughter in this movie. I kind of feel like this movie could have ended at the bridge and you just put Aziz in one of the cars on the bridge or something like that. I get that you needed a one-on-one with this character because he's the main villain, but I kind of feel like the daughter, at some point you feel there is a plot to be had because she gets on a bike with this obviously older guy. She's stealing money from his pockets and we never have an arc with the daughter. It kind of feels like, um, you know, like in Face Off, how John Travolta is kind of disconnected from his daughter and she's just kind of in with the wrong boys, is, you know, out smoking cigarettes, etc. And we kind of see her pop up in the movie at important moments where unfortunately Nick Cage has to rescue her from the boy and all that other stuff and be a better dad to her. Nowhere in this movie is Arnold given the opportunity to interact with his daughter like a second time and have like a meaningful moment with her. 
Yeah. The Grant Hesloff character, the guy that's the cameraman at the end, like he could have, that pulls a gun out of the camera. I almost yeah. feel like he easily maybe could have replaced the daughter in that scene. Like we saw him in the beginning with Gibb oh, and, right. and Arnold. Like maybe we could have seen him take that. Yeah, I guess the daughter. And he could have been the one you rescued off the crane. Right. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like it could have, yeah, you're right. That you, She could have been easily written out. Yeah, I feel like um, if you're going to have her, she needs to have some sort of arc or interaction with Arnold or they just don't have a daughter. I, I just feel like her only purpose in this movie is to literally take the key. I think the purpose really is because it's supposed to be like about a family. Ultimately, that's what it's supposed to be about. And so, of course, you know, put in a daughter to make it more of like a family unit instead of just a wife and husband. But you're right. There's not like a ton that she does. There's no well, there's, arc. There's no story. There's the scene that they have dinner together, right? And it's very awkward right? yeah. because he knows that she's lying. Then there's also the whole scene with the uh, the sunglasses and the cigarette, right. where she sees that he's ripping off Tom Arnold's character. But I mean, outside of that, and then like when Arnold misses the birthday party, and like she's putting the icing, and then at the end, like we don't really see her a lot. We don't get to know her a lot. Like she could have been easily just dismissed from this movie. I feel like yeah, she didn't need to be in it. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. Uh, take a shot every time Harry says sorry or excuse me during the horse chase scene. He says it way too much. You mean your favorite scene? Yeah, but I, it's still goofy but i love it um and then also when uh, the daughter says daddy like take a drink every time she says daddy oh during God, the cream would rescue. be drunk yeah like she crone is like if she says daddy one more time and then she said it 12 more times <laughs> i was just kind of like what the fuck so you were hammered yeah pretty much um and then uh <laughs> at one point um jamie lee curtis says during like uh that terrorist scene where they're having like the gunfight she's just like oh, I can't believe I married Rambo. And I'm like, bitch, you married Dutch from fucking Predator, not Rambo. <laughs> like, I don't understand. But um, yeah, that's my that's my trash and treasure with this movie. Uh, Mugs, what's your trash and treasure with this movie? You guys talk about the comedy that you like it. There's, there's some, I think, that is just so over the top that I don't like. Uh, some of the one-liners, I don't like that you're fired. You guys like that? Love it. I didn't know that's what he said. I think it's fitting. I, I, I didn't like it. Um, Especially since he went on to host The Apprentice. Oh, that's true. That's true. Wow, yeah. Good connection oh, there. Yeah, there you go. Um, when Jimmy Lee Curtis's character, Helen, says to like one, how about two, and she hits her with the, the champagne mm. bottle. I didn't, I didn't like that. Um, and there's a couple other ones. <laughs> You're looking, I, I, I hate it. I did. I did. Just because really? I, like, I like when okay. uh, a girl kicks ass, um, yeah. Fake punch on Bill Paxton's character when they're in the vet. I didn't, I didn't like that. You know how we know that, you know, he, I, I don't know. I just don't like that. If it's not going to happen, why put it in there? Okay, we so know that he doesn't like him. I know. We, we understand that. And it's not excessive. They do it one fucking time. But like, then like, why do it? I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't like it, you know? And I feel like also Bill Paxton's character, which I like him in certain areas. Don't you feel like his story could have been shortened? Yeah, I, it just yeah. was way too long. Like him and Helen going back and forth, and then the, then there's the vet, and I just and it just I, I just feel like you could have condensed his little. I disagree. I, I disagree. I, I, I think I that if you shorten his story any more, then we would have been like, well, I don't understand what his character is. Like we don't yeah. know. He would have been the daughter. I think the length of it is appropriate given the circumstances under which Helen is willing to cheat. Because the guy is pretending to be a spy and Arnold is a spy himself, so you need to have that build up 
for the irony, for the humor. We have to understand all of that. And if we don't, if we're, if you cut out like the scene where they show him passing by her and then coming back and like dropping off the briefcase and saying, Hey, like, you know, protect us from me or whatever. And then he like, he storms out of there. Like we need to see all of that, like create the suspense, like make her feel like, Oh, what's this guy about? Like, I think we need all of Bill Paxton's character. What what part would you cut out? The only thing I would say, I would just not cut out. I would just condense it. I mean, I just feel like there's, I feel like there's just too much, and you kind of take away of what's going on. I, it goes on up. I know the tangent comes back, but I just I kind of feel like it just went way. I mean, the, the movie's two hours and twenty four minutes. There's somewhere where we have to trim something. In I my think sense. I think yeah. the point you're getting at is like, bro, I forgot about Aziz. Like after he lost him in the chase or whatever, I forgot. Oh, right. I forgot all about him because the and that's movie. That's when you bring Bill Paxton. Yeah, the movie in, yeah. just shoves Bill Paxton in there and to your point Jason I 100% agree with you like that needs to be set up for the sake of the story but like what does this movie want to be about and how does this movie want to see itself or you know tell its story and at the very end he pees his pants I don't don't, don't know if I like that that's trash I I love it I think it's funny I think it's hilarious Um, there's a couple of things that I, I don't like that happen and I feel like they're just input it into the movie to create comedy they're running out of the battery when they're trying to do the whole oh I like that too really? yeah um, I, I don't like the shooting of the bazooka backwards I love that <laughs> I didn't even know what happened you thought it was like yeah. a shell that was expelled yeah, he had he didn't even know backwards. what it was these yeah. terrorists are like in it, yeah and the bird landing on the terrorist truck making it tip over like we had kind of already discussed this you guys like this? it's physics man I understand it's okay. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, I thought uh, <laughs> not uh, so much. Some action was on the top. TJ went over at the gun going down, and then the motorcycle jumping off of the roof into the pool. Oh, like, bro, I, I, I don't that like trajectory. That. Man. There, there, I will agree yeah, with you. I, I don't, I don't like that. And thank God they don't actually make an attempt for the horse to jump after. I mean, like, it, no, I'm not doing this. The horse has the the right state of mind. Like, no, we're not doing this. You know, that might have been the point where I. Yeah. Turn the TV off. Yeah, and then, I, I, I was like, "Whoa, come on, man!" And then fucking Arnold has the nerve to be like, "What were you thinking?" And I'm to the horse, and I'm like, "You were gonna ride a horse off of a building? Like, well, what yeah. were also, you it's thinking?" Like so Jesus crazy Christ. because like the the wide shots show how far the buildings are. Yes, it, they're not close. No. It's not. There's no way that a motorcycle, let alone a horse, would have made that jump. It's like when you play with your toys and you make your own motorcycle like jump off. It's like the way the way it like flies off and then it just it's straight. Down! Oh my god, it's so bad. Um, my, my last trash is the uh, the nuclear bomb going off. I just whether it was the timing or the way that it, it's like, come on, man, you know, whatever. Um, not that I dislike this movie. I'm not saying that. Uh, we go into my treasure. First of all, when I was researching this, I thought the miniature set was the greatest thing. I thought the way these guys describe it, I thought it was great. I think the cast itself is amazing. I, I, I think they all feed off of it, but I want to get into a specific. I think Tom Arnold's character is great, you know? I think because he's coming out of that divorce and stuff like that, like it yeah. fits now Arnold, yeah. you know, thinking that his wife's cheating on him, yeah. and it's like all this. Like, and, kind and the of, whole yeah. divorce part where they play yeah. up. I, I, I you just, first divorced. Congratulations, buddy. Welcome like, to the club yeah, I, just, <laughs> like, oh, I thought shit. that was awesome yeah. I, I laughed um i've seen some movies because i'm a big top gun fan and they strictly was no cgi from researching it and seeing it i don't think that the hairier parts are cgi i really loved that 
Um, I love the whole cigarette pack sunglasses concept where they, you, you, you introduce it with the daughter, then, then he has it where he uses it as a weapon. That brings back the whole James Bond spy kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I love when you know you have Scorsese and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio work together on numerous films. Here you see you know James Cameron and Schwarzenegger. This is their third. I, I, I kind of like love, hey, hey, we got this. Let's just keep going. Uh, big treasure of mine, how you can see two big names just working together. And uh, yeah, I think that, that's my trash and treasure, you know. All right, Jason, uh, what's your trash and treasure for True Lies? So for my trash, and I know Arnold worked on this for six months, but is the tango scene necessary? Okay, I think it's necessary for, I, I guess, kind of bringing the story full circle. Because at the beginning of the movie, he's tangoing undercover with this criminal lady. And at the very end of the movie, he's doing that same thing with his wife to kind of show kind of the completion of their arc. So I do appreciate that. But to take six months to learn the tango, like, do you think it's, it's an, I mean, how long do we see the tango in the beginning? A minute and a half, two minutes, let's, let's, let's go two minutes. And yeah. I know that's given a lot to it. At the end, we don't see it for that long. And then he just leaves. He doesn't do anything else. He literally leaves after this. I don't think you need six months to learn how to tango. I don't think you need six months to learn to do any dance, honestly. Arnold did. That's true. Yeah. I, I just I I think it like other parts of the movie. I think it's unnecessary. The movie doesn't lose anything when it's not there. I agree. Just I, like the daughter, just like the whole lie between the the husband and the wife. Like there are other ways to achieve that goal of full circle than a tango. But you I don't guess. think you don't think it's like a nice touch that now it's him and his wife infiltrating a party at the very end doing the dance as opposed to him doing it with like a femme fatale villain. Is it a nice touch? Sure. Is it the only way to get there? No. So yeah, that, that was one thing I just, I was curious, like I don't know if it needs to be in there. Um, Mug touched on this earlier, the dogs just, just <laughs> they just look so fake. Watch it again. Oh, did it's, they look fake? Oh, oh watch it again. my, watch so it again. Elizabeth's like, Elizabeth, okay, we're watching this last night again. I was like, hey, I wanna watch it again before today. And again, I've seen this a million times, but like just watching it, I'm into it. She's like, you gotta pause this real quick. <laughs> You gotta go back after the dog scene. We go back, she's like, okay, go try to go frame by frame. And we're looking at this, and oh my God, the dogs look like big pieces Pillows. of just yeah. rubber. I wanna look yeah. at it. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Okay, but did you notice it the first 10 times that you watched it? Never. Okay, Never. so then. I was just like, it oh, did okay. its job. I was like, he didn't kill the dogs, they're okay. And I was so like, I would right, credit yeah. the editor on this because they edit it to where it's like he's colliding the heads together, correct? And that's when they're falling down. So you really, and then they quickly edit it something else. It's something you when see. When you watch notice. it slowly. So you no, didn't see no, it your no, first no, time either. Next no. time, no, next I, time you no. see, see Kerman's watching it. Oh, right no. Now, no. The next so, time you watch I'm it, it's hard to watch it. and see. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, and you're just like, oh okay. my God. Kerman like, bookmark it. I need to see it. Um, so Dana, she's like 14, but they let her like just get on this motorcycle with a dude. And they she, didn't let her. Well, he chased I mean, after her. Okay, so so Arnold's character is hardly home. That's what we're kind of learning. Like he's mm-hmm. not there a lot. So like the mom, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis' character, Helen's like just letting her do her own thing. Like you know, this motion. maybe I mean, she wants her daughter to live as freely as she wished she had. Maybe that is. Maybe that is. Well, the other thing too is like he sees her put on the helmet. Like it's she has a, the helmet on the entire morning. It's not a fucking mystery. Yeah. Like, so he knows she's getting on oh, a bike with somebody. That is true. Yeah. yeah. And she just hops on, and I, I'm like, can you stop her? Like, goddamn, you're like a super secret agent. Like, let's figure this out. Um, also, sorry to interrupt you, but who ever would think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a computer salesman? 
Yeah. Have you seen that man? Yeah. He's that's insane. Get to the computer. <laughs> you never know, man. He's probably the most uh, super salesman of ever. He's like, hey, you're gonna buy this now. <laughs> okay, go to the okay, okay, okay. That gives me time to watch this dog scene. <laughs> okay, so my next trash is when Arnold walks in in a sweater. I don't know why this made me laugh, but like the long sweater down past the pockets, like if you guys have ever seen Pumping Iron or you watch Terminator 2 or you watch any of these movies, like, can you imagine Arnold in like this? I guess you guys aren't laughing because I thought it was funny. Is this when he's not what, showing what are you talking physique. about? Wait, is this when his wife's on the bike? Yes. And he's wearing the big ass cardigan? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, what okay. the fuck? You don't. You didn't laugh. No, I. Yeah, I did. No, TJ and I noticed that. Shit. We like, did. So like, so like when Arnold's sitting there in like a button up, like we get it. Like he walk, he's running on jacket and tie. Okay, we get it. But like he's walking around a goddamn sweater, <laughs> and it's like, and it's not like a regular like pullover sweater or it's not like a zip up. No, no, no. He has like a fucking like low cut like three or four button like down past the pockets like. Chandler Bing kind of like <laughs> sweater. Like, I'm like, what the fuck, Arnold? You're the oak. Why are you wearing this fucking sweater? Because he's um, a salesman. Yeah, he's trying to play the part. Trying to play the part. Yeah, I guess, whatever. I did not like that. Uh, that's not the Arnold I like to think about. Uh, and then um, this is something that Elizabeth and I were talking about last night. So he walks out to get into the truck to put the tracker into the purse, right? How many girls do we know that only have one purse? Oh, zero. None. So it's like, we're going to pick this one magical purse that she always uses to track her ass in. The, the wedding ring or a watch or an earring or something in she wears though, was it was it common for girls to have multiple purses? I don't, I don't know. I'm just Since I, the beginning I mean, of the time. My mom, they, have, they have multiple no, Since the beginning know. of the purse. But I will, I will, say, no, I will mom, say they don't change purses every day. No, they yeah. don't, yeah. Yeah, my mom has always had multiple purses, but like, you know, girls you date, you'll notice that like they take a purse to work and they might swap it out or they take a purse on the weekend. So I think because all her stuff was happening during work hours, he used her work purse. Maybe that makes yeah. sense. Also, like as a mom, they change their purses way less than that's single true. girls. That's true. I just I just I was thinking about the the girl of today and it's just like I think Elizabeth probably has like a million purses. I'm sure a lot of girls have a ton of purses. Does well, she take a new purse to work every but, day? But probably, I mean Jason, not. girls that's these crazy. days girls these days have a lot of baggage, so that's two. <laughs> We've been you've been quiet tonight. That's only two. Can we also um talk about how he was like yanking on the little dog? Oh yeah, I mean this is my trash, but yeah, we can talk about that too. He's abusive to dogs, headbutting them. Yeah, walking them in the rain, <laughs> walking them in the rain. You know, just just yanking on leash them really hard. Yeah, gosh, relax. Making bro. horses go over like in elevators. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, so much animal abuse, dude. Yeah. It's Peter, awful. Peter's probably not happy. I'm not. And again, not Peter Griffin, but Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Oh but anyway, God. that's the end of my trash. Uh, my treasure, the opening music, I liked it. Again, it kind of reminded me of like the rock, just the intense like action kind of music. Interesting to see like Arnold play like a 007 type family man's. You know, it's, like, it's, it's cool to see that dynamic. Tom Arnold, we already talked about, I think his character was clutch. I think he did a great job. I think coming off the, I mean, unfortunately the divorce with, you know, him and Roseanne Barr, like 
but I feel like it just it just fed into his role. It fed into Arnold. I mean, they're they're great friends after this, but like it just fed into the role specifically. I also read that like Tom Arnold auditioned for this role not really thinking that he was going to get it at all. He only wanted to meet James Cameron. Yeah, he wanted to audition for a lesser role. He's yeah. like, I don't think I can do this. Like, I, I just want to audition for something else. Like, don't like I don't want to do that. But like. He ended up casting him for this. I don't know. That's pretty cool. I, I think he did, he fit it really well too. That's cool. Shoot I your shot. That. That's cool. Shoot your shot. Nineteen ninety four. Shoot your shot. Charlton Heston as Fury. I thought that was cool. The restroom scene, the fight scene in the restroom. Yeah. I don't know. This is a treasure. Okay. Did that not remind you of Mission Impossible Fallout? Have you seen I that seen movie? Fallout yet. Okay. Can I just yes. tell you? Yes. I just watched it. It's on. It's on Amazon now. And it's like, holy shit, this is on Amazon. So I watched it, and it reminded me a lot of that. And I guess there's like a signature James Cameron thing in there too. I guess that the the hanging fluorescent light like dangling is like a James Cameron like signature. Oh, like mm. after like a brutal shootout, yeah. a brutal fight, a shootout. Is it in any of the Terminators? Or? We have to watch them now, right? I, I, We've already seen them. We got to watch them again now. Yeah, I'm trying. I was trying to think last night too. I, I, and, I can't think. And of I would imagine. I mean, Arnold goes through like with the machine gun in the police station. I would imagine that at some point in the first Terminator, there's like a hanging light. In yeah. T2, there's all kinds of rounds going off, and they're yeah. blowing up bombs. I would imagine too, but I just haven't noticed that. But I was like, I saw that and I read it. I was like, holy shit, there it is. And it's like, I want to go back now and see if I can yeah. find it. But what were, were you gonna say, Teach? Also an American Psycho, but like obviously Arnold's character was attacked while peeing in a urinal. Oh, which is like one of my major fears. That's oh, no, right. I feel you on that, that. That's like TJ how vulnerable. That, that's one of his how, biggest fears of all time. <laughs> how, really? vulner- how vulnerable are you with your back facing anybody and your dick out? Like you're the most vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> when else are you any? When are you any more vulnerable than that? <laughs> I'm so glad you said it. And, right. and both your hands are busy. And both your hands are busy. And you're <laughs> occupied on one task and one like, task And you only. can't see behind you. <laughs> like, sometimes you're literally caught with your pants down. Like, it's fucking Jesus. awful, dude. I hate it. I don't know how I know this through all the research, but the, the tune he was whistling while he was peeing was like the Austrian version of Sound of Music, too. <laughs> I don't know I why I know that, but while he was peeing, that's why I, I did read that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a pretty vulnerable part. Anyway, uh, through my treasure, Jesus. But uh, the restroom scene, he also has another classic quote where he says, here, cool off. Oh, my God. Come on. Well, this isn't your treasure? Yo. Treasure. Did, did we yeah, say it is. This? TJ, didn't we say, like, yo, that motherfucker should have died, <laughs> like, when he okay, shoved he, his head in the urinal? He's hit him with an, a hand dryer. Oh, like a big ceramic metal hand dryer. And then... Sh- and then slammed his head into a ceramic urinal. There's no way that that man is still no, alive. No, he ripped it out of the wall, remember? Ripped yes. Bare hands out of the wall. Ow. Which is fine. Just, He's Arnold. He can do that. Face, but over the head, just, like, how do you survive? Like, how does your brain functional? Has your skull intact? You're like, dead, bro. Yeah, you're dead. If not, you drown in the urinal. That would suck. <laughs> Thank God for those uh, waterless urinals now. Um, <laughs> All pee. <laughs> If it's yellow, let it <laughs> let it mellow. <laughs> uh, the horse scene, I like that. I liked him riding the horse through oh, everything no. too. Bill Paxton, I thought he did a great job playing Simon. I thought for his character, um, where they showed too much or too little of him, I thought you know he did a great job. Unlike Mugga, I really liked the daydream too. I thought that him, I love that part. I was like, that's exactly what Arnold's thinking. It's like. 
Yeah, this is exactly what I would be thinking too. If like I was this dude, I would like want to fucking just destroy this motherfucker. Um, I like the kidnapping scene, the interrogation scene with Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't know why, but I think she is probably one of my biggest treasures. Like you just see her evolve, you see her grow, you see her During change. That conversation. As much as I hate that part of the film, I think that's probably what earned her the Golden Globe. You just that scene is so realistic, yeah. yeah, and I hate it. I don't think it's necessary, but she does such a great job in it. Like you see her emotion, and it like it changes like from scared to like upset to scared to like I'll do whatever Angry. it takes for my family. Yeah. And well, it's I kind of feel like at one point she shows like. Okay, I'm in control in a sense. In a sense. Like, I know she's not, but she's like, she's very timid and like all of a sudden like, no, like, fine. You know, I, 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 that's what I thought. Like, she gained confidence throughout that conversation. She was afraid at first because yeah. she was like afraid of her surroundings. Yeah. Then she became aware of her surroundings right. and then she started to own it. And she's like, dude, what the fuck are you fucking like doing to me? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I really like that scene. I thought Jamie Lee Curtis, she's definitely a treasure of mine. Uh, again, when you guys are talking about, you know, when she drops the Uzi and it's going down the stairs, I don't know. It's cheesy. It's weird. I this under- is a treasure? Yeah, it's a treasure of mine. Wow. I don't know. Right. I'm sitting there watching it, and I think that, yeah, the guns misfire sometimes, and it's bouncing around, and it's an automatic weapon. I don't know. It's goofy Also, would fuck. a gun fall that way head over, like, head over heel, I guess, like well, if you over t- and over and over and over again, all the way down. But there's pour- no way it pours out of her hand. It's not like she like threw it down or she threw it up. She's like, it just like, eh, and she like, it like <laughs> pours out of her hand, like down the stairs. And it's just like drops like so slowly. And I, I feel like it would do that. Whether it would shoot or not, you I don't know. I feel like it would do that. Whether it would shoot or fire or not like that, but I feel like it would fall down the stairs that way. All right. I mean, well, it happened, didn't it? Yeah. Well, duh, we just watched it. True lie. Um, <laughs> and then the Harrier jet scenes, I just feel like, I don't know, I thought it was, great. it was it was amazing. And doing the research and just, I don't know, like watching it, I thought they were super powerful, like learning about it a little bit, like how long they've been around. They're not the fastest jets, but the, you know what they can do, the maneuverability, like how they can do that with the air, but also the fact just how fragile they are. Like, I don't know, like it was an interesting plane to pick to put in this movie, first of all. I, I mean, it adds to it. Like, this- well, you, well, you couldn't, the, the Harrier jets can sit there and be stagnant. Like, I don't, the whole scene at the you very mean, end. Set in the air. Yeah, you could not do that with the F sixteen. Well, no, the, I, I totally understand that. You're not I just be moving forward. Yeah, I understand all of that. I'm just saying, like, it's just a, like you could have rewritten the script to do something oh, else. It's just like it's just an interesting plane to pick. Which I thought was, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, but again, to like learn about it a little bit, it's just weird to learn the fragility of it, like how like if something gets sucked up into it, it could really like. Again, I talked about this earlier, but like, you know, they're, they're picking up, like the cast and crew is picking up everything because there's two of them. Right. There's two of them at that part. So if one, the one that's taking off sucks up anything, any debris, it blows it straight out and it could damage the other plane. It's just, again, a very interesting plane. It, it makes for a cool scene. It makes for a cool kind of shot, both them after the bridge and also by the building. But it's like the same time, it's like, well, this is, could you find something else? Do you think that they didn't realize that until after they had written most of the stuff and like figured out the logistics for most of it? I think because we did see, again, part of that documentary I was showing you guys earlier, the one that Jamie Lee Curtis kind of narrates, but you know they had to go meet with the Pentagon to get approval, not only 
for the personnel, but for the planes. And I think they got um, approval for three of the Harrier jets. But again, we saw two of them land. And I, I'm sure that that was something where it's like, hey, like if you guys want to use these, that's great. But you got to make sure that every piece of debris, whether that's a pebble or a stick or whatever the hell it is, you cannot let these get in the engines because it's going to fuck them up because they're used to like, Muggy, you were saying like an aircraft carrier where I'm sure it's like spotless yeah. and they don't have that issue. Whereas, you know, taking off from like the end of a bridge on like, like a civilian street, there's shit everywhere yeah. and it's next to a beach. So, you know, breezes are already go always going and like there's dirt and there's all kinds of stuff everywhere. So it's like, you have to make sure you take care of these aircrafts because I'm sure they're, you know, a third of what the movie costs to make. So. Yeah. I just, that was my last treasure. All right, so let's get into uh, how much we would pay to watch True Lies. TJ, tell us how much you would pay to watch this movie. I didn't think it was great. I didn't hate it. Uh, like we talked about a lot, I think that I was just confused as to like what it was trying to be. Um, there were some funny parts. There were some great parts. I would probably pay $10 to see this movie. Uh, yeah, I'm also going to pay $10. Um, I think this movie... Uh, is really good. I do remember watching a lot as a kid, but you know, watching it again as an adult, I am seeing a lot of flaws with it. And I think my main gripe with it is that I feel like it's a little too long and it can't figure out what it wants to be. You know, if those things were tightened up a little more, maybe I could give it a 15. But you know, 10's not a bad price. So I'm paying 10 to watch this movie. Mugga, how much are you paying to watch it? Being in 1994 and growing up in that era and all that I, and there's a lot of great movies that I have that I would I, I love and I cherish I just I don't ever put this in the category of a 90s movie even though I know it is but like if I look at 90s I'm thinking of like The Rock or you know other things I, I just I don't not saying I dislike it but I can't give it a 15 I also gotta give it a 10 I, I like it I just I don't, I don't know I can't I can't go any higher than a you 10 you don't love it I don't love it I don't love it yeah all right, Jason, uh, how much would you pay? This is tough, because I'm hovering between 10 and 15. Are you in a Harrier jet? <laughs> <laughs> I am, and there's lots of debris, so. Uh, you know what, I, again, I, I watched this a lot as a kid. Probably one of the f first films that I saw that was rated R unedited. So I think I saw a lot of films like on TNT, TBS that were probably edited, but I like, again, my mom was at work, so I took the VHS, popped it in, and I watched it unedited. But I, I kind of have to agree with you guys. Like, as much as I enjoyed this, when I think about like classic action films from the 90s, it's always like an- It's not in it, that category. It's an no. afterthought. Yeah. Like, I think about like Die Hards, Lethal Weapons, other movies that, that really were impactful. And this one, I, again, I had to like think about it for a while for this, pop up so I'm gonna give it a 10 uh, 10 bucks alright so Mugga how much are this we is, paying to watch this, this is movie some hard math seriously hey Muggs take your time with this one yeah seriously it's do you need a, a really pen hard, and paper yeah somebody get this guy a T9 or get a calculator whatever. no T9 is the texting what, oh, an, an abacus it's yeah. one of those old school calculators <laughs> with the jewels and yeah, what, is what, he, what, what he grew no, up using no lie we were paying $10 to watch this movie alright some quick math Muggs yeah. <laughs> very good alright yeah so uh, we're paying 10 bucks to watch uh, True Lies but uh, let's uh, let's ask the most important question. There it is. No, if Tom Cruise was in this movie, who would he play? Tom Arnold's character. Even though I like Tom Arnold, you can't take Schwarzenegger out. I would go Tom Arnold's character. See, I would put him as Jamie Lee Curtis, Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah, Charlton Heston's Ooh, character. That was a good one. Because it's that like a nice one. little cameo. Yeah. Like he doesn't have to have a huge part. Yeah. Really doesn't add or take anything away. 
Uh, and I think it would be fun, like put him in that in that part. That's what I was kind of thinking too. I was like hovering between the two. I was like, because again, I went back to Tropic Thunder. That that's mm. like kind of like his character. So that would have been cool. I would have liked to see him play uh, Aziz, or the like be, or be the be the main villain of this movie. Really, that would have been cool. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I could see I could see that. Yeah, just call him Tom instead. I don't know. But, yeah. Call him Aziz too. I mean, we Z's, can all whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, you're fired. <laughs> I was about to say Did Tom Cruise say that? No, he never said that. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, and thank you for listening. Welcome to Twenty Dollar Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch True Lies. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. Jason, how are you? I'm fine, Kerwin. How are you? Are we actually starting? We're all good, man. What are you drinking today? Good. I am drinking a hard green tea. Your mic stuff. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Let's just do the whole podcast. <laughs> this mic's not even plugged in. Fuck. <laughs>